My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and, really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Verdino, and you are tuned into No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. And I am here, as always, with my good friend, my my avatar twin, Jeff Livingston. How are you today, Jeff? Good to see you, my friend. How are you? I see I you have the same haircut as me again. As, as always, absolutely. And speaking of haircuts, we've got an actual haircut with us today. A very special <laughs> guest, our old, 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 not too old, but old friend, Jeremiah O. Yang. How are you today, Jeremiah? Hey, guys. It's nice to reconnect. Hey, Jeremiah. How are Hello. you, man? Thanks right. for joining us. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have you on board. And it's Jeremiah is here because we've got a special episode this week. This is actually our year-end episode. Uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off around the holidays. And the last episode, as anyone who's been listening knows, Jeff and I took a look back at 2023 and... Uh, ran through some of the things that we found notable about the year in AI. This year, we're going to take a look ahead, and we're going to be making some, I hesitate to call them predictions, but we're going to, I guess, place some bets on <laughs> some of the things that we expect or hope uh, to see happen in the coming year, 2024. And we know, obviously, Jeremiah, you... Uh, you have been a an analyst for many, many years. You're an investor, an entrepreneur. You are eyeballs deep in artificial intelligence, as I'm sure anybody who knows you is well aware. And uh, we're really excited to hear what you've got to say. So let's kick off. What we're going to do on this episode for everybody, just to give you a little bit of orientation, is each of us brought three... Uh, trends or topics to the table. We're going to round robin the same way we did last episode. We're going to start with you, Jeremiah. What's the first thing that you have on your radar for 2024? And yes. by the way, I do have a clock. Uh oh, <laughs> okay. he's timing you. All right. Well, you tell me when we're up against the clock. So, um, <laughs> speaking of clocks, people don't have a lot of time, and AI is going to create more content. There's more content to read. I don't know how many unread emails you have. So what I'm imagining happening is we're all going to have inbox zero. What? That's because AI is going to read our email, prioritize our email, summarize our email, and start res responding for us. And that's actually the first place where AI should start because there's already a wealth of information it can train on. The thousands of emails you've received and sent, how did you respond? And that sets up this new wave of AI agents that will start to emulate us. Now, if you're a marketer, you should probably be concerned. It means that 
humans aren't going to be reading your email marketing. The AI is going to do it and be making recommendations and even product recommendations for the buyer. So that's what I see happening. AI agents and email is going to radically change the game. Many of us can have inbox zero if we want it. Wow. That'd be pretty awesome. I hate doing it manually. I don't know. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously that's a great opportunity. What I like about it is it is a, for the consumer, the average individual, it's such a practical application of the technology. It's There's a clear benefit, a clear use case there. What obviously scares me as a marketer is the very thing that you hit on, Jeremiah, right? That, you know, as we approach an age, and I don't believe this will happen outright in 2024, but I know you and I have spoken a bit online about this. As yeah. we approach an age where effectively we have an agent acting on our behalf in virtually every area so machines are marketing to machines effectively yes that fundamentally changes everything about marketing right you know all of the old rules go out of you know really are, are off the table at that point yeah i mean it's also something that makes sense to me i mean do you see google as the primary deliverer of that with gmail yeah, yeah, Google, but also this is already a feature that's been announced in Microsoft 365 Copilot. As you know, they partner deeply with OpenAI, so it's it's going to come out of there for the Office side as well. I mean, that makes sense. With yeah. Exchange and Gmail, then you have like the twin giants right. of email hitting yeah. it. So to me, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, and it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. I do think that that's going to actually really destroy, in a lot of ways, like you had just mentioned, Greg, the... Uh, direct marketing industry uh, because email's already bad, getting worse each year with all the filtering that's going on. Yeah. Now it's just basically disarming completely. What about, I guess, you know, I guess the other angle here is, you know, what are your thoughts, Jeremiah? You know, clearly people already, I think a lot of people are already feeling disconnected, right? You know, there's a loneliness epidemic. There's, yeah. I think, concern about the way in which sort of digital mediation has disintermediated our relationships with other human beings. There's you know, potentially an authenticity crisis coming as more and more content is AI generated. Mm -hmm. How do you think this plays into that? Well, it's a multi-pronged answer, but I think we're going to see a way for people to prove their humanity when they post. Um, like there might be some bio-authentication that indicates that this post was written by by Jeff Livingston, therefore I'm more likely to read it. I don't know exactly how that's Less likely, happen. less likely. Yes, <laughs> um, There might be some retinal, retinal scan or something or a video that it shows that it's not been altered, right? That, those are things that we might see happen. Um, secondly, people are going to be talking to AI that when they're lonely. I, I'm not saying, that, by the way, this is the best thing for the world. I'm just saying it's sure. going to be a thing. There's just not enough right. therapists. There's not enough healthcare professionals. Be, uh, anxiety, depression is at an all-time high. Most there's boomers not enough are customer service reps, they're right? They're aging years and they need someone and loneliness. So people are going to talk to AI. In fact, there's one called Pi by Inflection AI that does some of these things. I, I have a financial tie to that company, but I showed Jeff that example. Yeah. So yeah. those knew who I was, Greg, which is sad for Pi. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got each other, guys. This is true. Other. Yeah, and I think, you know, you also hit on something there, and then we'll move on. Um, but, you know, you, you made the point that you're not saying whether this is good or bad for the world, right? But it just is. And I think that's an important thing for people to keep in mind, that ultimately any of these applications, these use cases, these technologies can be either good or bad anywhere in between and sometimes both all at once and that it's ultimately our responsibility as users, as consumers of the technology, as businesses who might deploy the technology to really kind of think this through and decide for ourselves is this a good thing, is this a bad thing and then obviously shape the way we behave and adopt these technologies on the basis of that but we can't ignore the fact that these technologies are entering our lives rapidly at a clip you know unlike really anything else that we've, we've seen, never seen in recent memory yeah. right yeah. Um, you know so and, and, absolutely and you can't ignore it 
Um, I think I'm up next, if I You're remember next, Jeff's. Uh, and yeah. I'm going on a totally different track here. Um, although, you know, I suppose all of this does come together in a way somehow. Um, so when I look at, and this is not a positive thing, this is definitely a negative thing. I guess maybe it has a positive implication at the end of the day. But when I look at 2024, uh, to me, I don't see how we don't have an AI startup bloodbath. And what I mean by that is when we look back at the frenzy over the course of the past year or so, we've seen thousands upon thousands of AI startups, many of which are just thin wrappers around GPT or another model uh, that add very little additional value beyond a basic application like a chat GPT. It's like, oh, it's chat GPT, but it only talks about balloons. And companies like that were frankly getting insane investment in a lot of cases. Uh, and I'm being a little bit facetious about the balloons, but it was almost that bad. Like there are dozens and dozens of different applications that you know will write your emails or your blog posts for you at this point. Um, none is any better than any of the others in a lot of cases. You know, so there's a lot. It's a very crowded market place a lot of really i think products not companies that have been funded that are out in the market i know i've seen some data from sequoia for example that seems to indicate that a lot of these companies have yet to actually prove their value and you know kind of you know really kind of clearly define their value proposition and their use cases and benefits to the uh, prospective users right so i think there are a lot of companies who are going to quite frankly disappear over the course of 2024 i frankly wouldn't be surprised if at least one of those is a major player I'm not prepared to make a bet on who that major player would be necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised if a major player disappears, but certainly... Does it rhyme with Casper? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it may or may not, um, but... um, yeah, but I mean, it could even be one of the companies that are building foundation models, right? You know, whether they flat out go out of business or they get acquired by somebody else. Who knows, right? Um, you know, so it could really, as far as I'm concerned, be anybody. But at the end of the day, for me, the bottom line is the marketplace is going to significantly consolidate. Um, and we're going to see a lot of these smaller, thin wrapper companies in particular um, just fall out of, out of the, the space. Thoughts? You want to take that one first, Jeremiah? Well, I think that's right, and I probably would welcome that first. So for those that don't know, I have a new role. I'm a, a venture capitalist. I joined a firm. So I'm investing in these startups, and God, there's so many. All right, so here's a crazy stat. Um, Jeff's head is glowing again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so a crazy stat. When I started tracking the website, there's an AI for that .com in March. There was 3,000 companies in the directory. A few weeks ago, it crossed 10,000. 10,000, right? right? Yeah, so that means there's about 1,000 new AI projects being added to the database per month. By the way, that's 30 a day. So since we started talking, a new one birthed. You know, that's really impossible for us to do that. Look, there's one birthing right now. <laughs> that's Greg's timer. He made it. I did it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Greg's right, and the market needs to retract. Yeah. I mean, to me, the Red Ocean makes sense, right? We're going to definitely see that. There's way too many of them. Like, we all remember what it was like last spring. Anytime anybody announced anything, it was like, oh, my God, HubSpot's got AI. But then you look at it, it's like, well, no, they just slapped GPT on they it. Rubbed and they rubbed some on. They called it chat spot or whatever it's called, <laughs> a bad you- spot, you know? And it's, this oh, yeah. is, you know, the, I'm not demeaning HubSpot. This is common. You know, and it's been done by established players and new players alike. But I think the market's gotten wise to it uh, very quickly, and everybody's skeptical now. It's like, okay, is this really adding value? How is this different than what I can get already through my app that I already pay for versus, you know, you just channeling my web traffic and then gathering all the data on me or, you know, basically trying to keep me on your app, HubSpot. Yeah, it's like all these uh, enterprise software companies that added Facebook Connect or LinkedIn Connect and all of a sudden they're social media companies 10 years ago. 
Right. Like, it's a right. comment box, right? So what? Yeah. <laughs> comment box, exactly. So, I mean, it's but they they have they feel the pressure from Wall Street to do so. Of course, the of CEOs course. Sure. are like it's mentioned being mentioned in the boardroom and the annual. But what's what's interesting too, though, is I think we've also seen the path to do that, which is to do it well. Like for example, Amazon taking generative. AI to either whether it's Dolly or I think they use Stable, but using Stable to create imagery for their ads, for their storefront ads, and basically customizing the prompts so that a storefront mm. user can you know, resize ads, etc., etc., etc. Very niche, specific, defined use cases for their application. Like that's how to use it, right? Not not to just slap it on. So. I agree with that. So two things that we're looking for to ensure they're not a GPT wrapper. Um, one, do they have access to exclusive data? Uh, and that is something that is, if it's a, a legal contract, that's very defensible. Um, and then secondly, are they creating new products with synthetic data? So that point you just brought up, Jeff, around creating new ads with synthetic data, that fits well into that. Yeah, sure. yeah, it makes a lot of makes sense. Of that's sense. really great to get that VC perspective too, because like awesome. you're not going to invest unless you see value. Yep. All right, I think it's my turn. Uh, my number one trend, which is only the third trend, uh, and so all jokes aside, I mean, we've been talking about multimodal quite a bit over the past few months, and I think we've all seen this in the past with social and 2.0 when we saw you know, text meets video meets imagery, and you know, then it became VR, AR, and the metaverse and everything. But the reality is, is that the consumer market is trained now to expect diverse media types, not just to input it, but also to receive it. And I think the generative AI rush is moving towards that multimodal, not just import, but also export. And as we get there, and somebody I expect next year is going to have a breakthrough, probably OpenAI, maybe Google, maybe one of the others like Anthropic, whatever it might be. Metaverse, Facebook, whatever they've channeled all their algorithms into to try to recycle them. But that's just a joke, Jeremiah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just snarky as all hell. I can't help myself. But uh, the thing is, is like, uh, you know, somebody's going to have a breakthrough. And when that happens and people realize what is possible, what it devalues, I think. LLMs to a great extent because they're primarily trading, or simple LLMs are primarily trading off of text and it really forces everybody to up the game and meet this new market because once people get access to the type of content that they're already consuming on every social network out there via an AI they're going to want it. And so I think you're going to see all the players that are behind quickly get into an acquisition frenzy. So for example, let's say OpenAI is the one that's behind and they realize that Dali is not going to successfully meet their need to generate imagery, they may acquire Midjourney. Or I could see Amazon quickly pairing Anthropic and Stable and saying, guess what, boys? We're buying you both and we're mashing you up pretty nicely. You know, stuff like that. I, I just see an acquisition frenzy to try to meet this multimodal market need. That makes sense. Um, and, and then the other types of modes, so we got text, we got audio, we got voices, we got video, video. Like, like Pika looks amazing. That right. looks like one that would be acquired, right? By, I don't know, Adobe? Adobe sure. should acquire Pika. Um, or whoever wants to take down Adobe acquires Pika, right? right? Or what if it goes to Netflix? Wild. Or YouTube, right? Google, like, there's some wild thoughts. Maybe, uh, so I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And also then, in addition to that, was uh, the other modes would be instantly generate video games and instantly generate metaverse experiences. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think even before we get into that stuff, which is kind of on the horizon, and we're talking about the horizon, but like I think back to the early days of social and what a pain in the ass everything was, right? Oh, it was you, horrible. You know, your friends were on MySpace and you were blogging on Blogger. Your friends were on MySpace? Well, you know what I'm saying. Not me, hypothetically. Oh, no, yeah, you. Right? 
Yeah, it was me. I, it was me. I was I was I was Dusty Onion seventy four. You're just and getting ever <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> Right, but like you, like you would have your. But I'm saying, like you'd have your community on MySpace. You'd have your blog on Blogger. You'd be commenting on crap on like Dig or sharing links on, you know, on Dig and you know Reddit and like all this. Like everything was Flickr photos, and you know you were like just scattered all over the place, and. It's yes. kind of a Facebook for good, bad, or otherwise to say, no, 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 you can do it all here. And it became so much simpler. It drove adoption in a way that the sort of more sort of scattered and disparate environment didn't. It got marketers on board because all of a sudden you knew who to go to for your 800-pound group guerrilla ad spend, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, in a way, there's sort of a parallel here, right? In that, you know, if you want to create text, you go to one tool. If you want your images, you go to a different tool. If you need video, you go to a third tool. If you want to put a little bit of code in, you have to go to a fourth tool, right? And it's really kind of a pain in the butt. It's almost in a lot of ways even the way Web3 was a pain in the butt, right? Where everything yeah. was kind of taped and band-aided together. It's early, right? Was, right. Yes. And a lot of this is, you know, as these models come together, become truly multimodal, both in terms of input and outputs, it becomes a much more natural way to have a single single interface and a single way of interacting with the machine uh, without having to, you know, bop around and hunt and peck and, you know, worry about knowing and learning and maintaining and paying for 17 different tools. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. sweets. So Gen right. AI sweets is really what it is. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I, I think yeah. we'll see that happen for sure. Yeah, yeah, awesome. We, All right, we saw that on Facebook. Okay, next yeah. round. Jeremiah. Second round. Oh yeah. Um, so my next prediction is that I think we'll see Google Search, that dominant winner of the last twenty years, that's dominated everything, and certainly marketers have put a bunch of money into that. You know, search, the SERP, SEO. I think Google is going to lose market share. Wow. I would actually argue that they already are losing market oh, share. Oh, snap. What are you seeing, Jeff? Well, TikTok. You know, I see that you have that whole generation's already searching on TikTok. Uh, Gen Z is already out there. And uh, and you can see that with YouTube also losing market share, which, you know, of course gets bundled into Google search. So mm. it's true. I, I think you're spot on. Here. But, you know, they could say... The thing that Google gets away with with their search stats, which I think allows them to kind of come across as monolithic, even though that they may have lost market, it's like saying uh, we have so many cable subscribers to broadcast without counting all the cord cutters, right, percentage-wise. And so I think Google's got a dominant share of search in a traditional sense. I, I do agree, though, that moving to your point with AI... With AI, AI suddenly becomes that cord cutting mechanism mm -hmm. where instead of traditional social networks or search or whatever, it's going to move to the bots. Right? So it's already happened for me. So Google search is the second tool. It's my backup tool. So the first tool I use to get information from the real-time web is a chat, uh, sorry, is a search tool called Perplexity AI. You guys have tried it, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I don't have any. I'll, I will. I will disclose when I have a financial relationship. Uh, but perplexity is really interesting. So you can type in anything, any question you would have that you would normally put into um, Google. So uh, let's say how to bake sourdough bread, since that was like the big thing a few years ago. It would give you everything you need on all those recipes, but it would summarize it. In, it it does. Excuse me. It does summarize it in one location, and it also references and gives the citations of where it got that information and you can click those links to find out the original source and here's the best part there's no ads so you don't have to make choices like going to a search results page figure that out which by the way is very disrespectful that's very complicated now yeah it's yeah. very like we we it's google's kind of like a i don't Hot know the best mess. term for it is like it's like it held us hostage or it's been kind of like a it's like been like a bad relationship, like an <laughs> abrasive relationship, abusive relationship, right? Like they know the answer, they just don't want to give it to us because they make money. So that's going to be upended from tools like Perplexity, but also OpenAI and Claude and Pi and any other AI tool. Um, Google is quite capable of doing this. You can see like the Google Bard features, the beta features have this capability. Right. The issue is over 95% of their revenue is ads. So it's yeah. a business model conflict. How are they going to do this? I don't S know. Slowly die? 
Yep, so that's my prediction. Google search is going to lose market share to generative AI tools. Hey, real quick before we move off of this, what did you think of Gemini? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, so I thought it was interesting. I, I saw the video, but there was a lot of people saying that that's not reality. It's just fabricated. Yeah. Uh, so I could I, do one I, of those on Fiverr too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I wait till I can try the tools before I give a, a verdict on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think they have a history of, I won't say outright fabricating their demos, but certainly doctoring their demos to amplify, I think, the narrative around the capabilities that might be in the roadmap, let's say, as opposed to what the tool is actually capable of doing right now. So, yeah, we'll see how that pans out and whether... They have backs against the walls. They have no choice yeah, right now. They yeah. have no they choice, right? They're, yeah. Yeah, they're the they're, first ones to acquire, too. We'll see. That makes sense as well. Yeah, they yeah. have to. Absolutely. Want to move on, Jeff? Uh, what's your number two? Well, I think we kind of saw this unfold a little bit over Thanksgiving, but uh, I would say that OpenAI um, is ripe for a fall in a way, uh, a self-induced fall. And I'm not saying that they're going to implode or disappear off the market, but I could see them losing market share pretty heavily due to a self-induced black eye. What, what I've seen from OpenAI more than anything in Altman during his leadership, he really likes to be in the the spotlight. He'll say bombastic things. He'll do things like even embarrass Sachin Nadella in public during his very crazy kind of I don't even know what to call that coup that occurred at OpenAI over Thanksgiving. And you know that was just the way that unfolded in the public was to me an example of kind of like Kyrie Irving type behavior where you just don't know what's going to happen with this guy or what he's going to say or what he, when he's going to go out on X. And I know that there's this bombastic CEO kind of mode, but that combined with OpenAI's kind of wishy-washy approach to ethics and some of the trouble they've already gotten into with lawsuits, I just see something happening next year where they trip themselves up. You know, they just they just seem to play down to the competition and stop themselves from dominating the way they should. And I just foresee that continuing and in some bad way. Yeah. I yeah, I, th- I I I think that you know I, certainly one thing to me is certain that we haven't seen the last ripple from that week of chaos, right? Um, You know, I don't think we've seen the last of the management switch-ups. I don't think we've seen the last of the chaos, the last wrinkle, the last, um, you know, kind of surprising development or um, even potentially, um, you know, sort of the, sort of the, the, not the release, but the sort of, the the leak or the the public recognition of some fact that has been unknown about some of what happened there. You know, I, I'm not going to pretend to know any of the details about the inner working. Just like you, everything I've read, right? Um, you know, whether it's Kara Swisher or the information or you know anybody else um, who's been reporting on it. Um, but I do think you know a a large public shakeup like that certainly is going to have continued effects. I think it also shakes the confidence of the market. So anybody who has done a large-scale strategic deal with a company that has that kind of a public blowout has to be scratching their heads and saying, did we make the right choice here? Or if we're about to enter into a large strategic relationship, are we making the right choice and should we be considering other options? I I think... Oh, please. Go ahead, go ahead. So I think because of that, all of that is true, that Microsoft now, who they're going to be putting one of their execs on the board, is going to have their thumb on Sam's shoulder at all times. And they're going to be watching carefully. And this could actually result in reduced innovation and and fewer risks to be had. They may have a culture more like Microsoft in a year from now, which in a way could lead you to that blowout uh, Jeff that you were talking about I don't think they're going to have like a, an implosion like they did before I think they're going to have corporate scrutiny now okay but they could Very slow cool. down that's what could, could happen I think you know a Nadella type culture at OpenAI would be very beneficial to that company actually you mm-hmm. know kind of smooth out some of the wonkiness that you see in startups you know which sometimes is very beneficial and sometimes can be yeah. 
explosive. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder though, to what extent would that cause them to potentially lose an edge, not the edge, right? They would, I think, gain a different kind of edge. You know, to your point, Jarabaya, would it slow down their pace of innovation, for example? Um, Certainly it would have the balancing effect of making the organization at least appear to be more trustworthy to a large enterprise buyer, right? Um, It's, you It's, you know, the Microsoft you know, stamp of approval, so to speak. Um, I also wonder, is it, and I know they've been around for a while, but as a commercial entity, I wonder, is it too early in their life cycle to have more of a large company approach? You know, do they need that startup chaos in a way to retain their their edge and their, you know, sort of creative yeah. combustion right? yeah yeah i mean they're way they're ahead of the competitors so it's sure it's their lead to lose but um if they're ahead they i need that they need to show safety now i think that's the issue yeah mm-hmm. yeah they're that very was a pretty big blow up i mean that if i was in it at an enterprise or if i was running digital marketing enterprise i would push pause on that contract and definitely right until yeah. that is resolved so yeah. right that was my point if nothing else it's going to cause those large enterprises to go whoa wait a second yeah and, and, and at a minimum make sure they have a plan b and at a maximum choose the plan b as their new plan a right yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. We want to roll on. Um, So, uh, again, I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit here into something different. Uh, We're talking, obviously, about an open AI, the king of large language models, and then some. um, And all of the focus over the course of the past year certainly has been around large language models. Um, I think we are going to see a, not a full-on switchover, but I think the rise of what I would call specialized language models. I don't want to call them small language models. They're still quite large. Um, but I think increasingly, at least what I'm seeing, is enterprises are looking for a way to deploy more focused models that may not be good as good at everything as a GPT-4 Turbo might be, but are really, really, really hella good at the one thing they need that model to do. And that this in particular is going to come to play in things like regulated industries or industries where the nature of their proprietary data is really a huge differentiator and an advantage for them and to really train up those specialized models and make sure that they are super fine-tuned to performing the tasks they need to perform really well. There, I saw a buzzword emerge called large image models or large visual models where, yeah, it's large visual models, I think, where it's training off enterprise images. Hmm. Um, so that's a trend. And for example, a law firm, mortgage company, uh, any company with a bunch of documents, you could train off all those images, um, insurance companies, and yep. then, it, then it can more accurately predict what's in those images related to that market. Uh, so that's a trend that I am expecting to see, and we're going to look at that category for investment as well. Makes sense. Yeah, and I, I talked to quite a few trade associations, actually, mm-hmm. uh, in D.C., which makes sense, right? Yeah, and you know, a lot of them are interested in that. They want to see industry-specific types of large language models where it's proprietary, locked down. They're not sharing that data with other people, and they become the sources of information as the, right. you know, let's say like the generative AI association yeah. or whatever right. it might be, right? Yeah. And so it's proprietary data in that scenario, right? It's the secret sauce of that association, the exactly. training yes. materials, the educational materials, the protocols, the prototypes, right. the whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, in a scenario like that, you don't need a chatbot that's equally good at writing an email, searching a database, you know, no. speaking in pirate, right? You need one. You need you need a mod, not a model. A um, you know, you need an, an AI system that is really, really good at unearthing the hidden patterns and the gems inside that proprietary database. Um, yeah. So it's a very different approach, and you know, you don't need as large a model. It might benefit from being built on top of a foundational model, just in terms of the natural language processing and whatnot, uh, but. It is obviously much more you know, focused and specialized, and 
easier and cheaper, frankly, for an organization like an association to manage over time than if they were to try to build something much larger, I think. Right. Like I saw one last week. It was called CIFA AI, which was, it looked like they were doing a very refined, trained implementation of a GPT, um, but I'm not sure they're using that LLM. But it was all CFP, financial uh, planning related data and jargon built on the regulations of that sector. Now, if you're a certified financial professional, I mean, which, what, there may be 100,000 in the country, but it's a very defined, specific profession, which is revenue oriented, that that gives them, CIFA, the right to go to a Wells Fargo or a Vanguard or whoever and say, we have this specialized enterprise edition of this and you need to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Makes, Makes yeah. a lot of sense. All right, because I'm going to forget to do it as we've forgotten on every episode for the past several weeks. We're going to take a short break right now, hear from a couple of our sponsors, and we will be back in just a couple of minutes with our 7th, 8th, and ninth. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be trends for 2020 hey welcome back everybody we are in the midst of our 2024 trends predictions prognostications edition of no brainer we've got three more to go i'm gonna serve myself up first um and for this one i'm gonna go right at the marketers um and for me it's sort of a, it's almost like an anti-trend. I think that the age of aimless experimentation is over. As we go into 2024, um, I think that marketers, CMOs, other marketing leaders are going to have increased scrutiny, increased pressure to be objective driven, to actually deliver result from their investment in artificial intelligence. And it's going to become more and more important for marketers to actually be strategic about what they're doing, both how they're spending money and how they're implementing in their organizations. Whether they're building or buying is almost immaterial, but certainly I think 2024 is going to be the year where marketers have to make that pivot from just pure experimentation, where I think a lot of organizations have gotten stuck, to this more strategic investment in these technologies. I think in the process, we're going to see, frankly, maybe a lot of organizations dial back on what they're doing in artificial intelligence because they're not going to have as free reign to do the kind of things they've done this year that haven't actually borne out or proven themselves in terms of upside, whether upside is productivity or performance. Uh, But I think that the ones who kind of stick with it who are able to make the leap from tactics to strategy are going to be the brands that actually differentiate themselves in a real and meaningful way in a sense that hasn't happened yet from what I see uh, in many of the sort of brand marketing applications of AI. Thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's funny. One of the ones I weighed a trend um, was similar to this, but not, um, not phrased in the same way was um, more that this is the year when some companies really go out with AI and kick some ass and everybody has to get serious about it you know because if your your competitors are suddenly beating the daylights out of you and eating up your market share because they're using AI with their yep. marketing intelligently it really puts you under the gun to do so as well sure. right that's uh, I think the implication some will rise at, rise up and, and, and really sprint ahead and if you can't make that leap, you're kind of stuck. You're dead. You're dead. I mean, like, you'll be dead in a few years. 
is I, I mean I do see I, eventually and this is to your point you know you have to use this stuff strategically now you can't just goof off with you know hey we're creating images on Dali and using them in our ads gee we get AI no you have to use it to actually like dominate your market and I actually think a lot of that begins with traditional ML and segmentation and understanding sure, customer absolutely. right and you know I think uh, it, I don't want to steal Jeremiah's thunder, but I know we're going to talk some more on this. But the thing is, is like, you know, the whole the whole thing about AIs, it's going to create a literally. You remember the digital divide? There'll be an AI divide. Those that get it, and those that are don't, and those that don't are going to be in a real struggle. I mean, that's true of professionals, and that's true of companies. You stunned Jeremiah into silence. (laughs) Well, I mean, it aligns to what I'm going to predict, but I want to hear from Jeff first, and then I'll chime in. So, Greg, um, directionally, you agree in all the questions that you're you're asking and what could happen? Yeah. Jeff. All right. Sorry. Um, So, here's my prediction. D.C., the District of Corruption, is going to teach us to absolutely freaking hate AI. And what I mean by that is it's going to become an election issue. We all love presidential elections so much. And you can see this is already happening with the Biden administration trying to implement AI policy by fiat and uh, some of the other kind of commentary that's coming out and all the policies and prognostication. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I speak English on my better days. But, you know, I mean, like all jokes aside, I mean, we can see that the political wheels are uh, starting to move. And this is becoming a defining issue for technology and business policy moving forward in the economy. And I think the economy is going to be front and center as a political issue in 24. You know, people generally feel that we're in a recession. Economists don't. Uh, and there's a conflict there. They're calling it the silent recession now. And there's going to be a lot of questions mm-hmm. about how this administration is going to get people out of it or whoever the Republican candidate is, how they're going to get out of it. And AI is going to be a central, central theme in that. And, it, and it's going to really yeah. piss us off, those of us that are in the industry, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. So many of the the roles that it could replace, already we know any repetitive role or task is likely to be automated, but a lot of those now are white-collar jobs, too. So uh, it's unclear, like, well, how would the left lean on this versus the right? It impacts both sides in different ways. It doesn't sit on one partisan side of the the aisle here. Um, And I don't know if either side gets it. Right, I, I I would doubt right <laughs> that either side gets it, at least not to the extent they need to get it, and they're taking all of their cues from big tech, so you know we and can EU. certainly yeah the see, one yeah I was going to say the one big policy thing that I could see actually being implemented is because of procurement, where the U.S. government's the largest technology buyer in the country, and insisting on the NIST framework being in place for security concerns with AI on enterprise-grade AI makes sense. But I think that's where it ends, you know? Yeah, so numerous folks in Silicon Valley do think that the EU regulations put forth are likely to be the ones that cater over to other countries. Therefore, U.S. would likely adopt a big majority of that. So... That's interesting. So we'll yeah, we'll see what happens. And of it's course all of like this noise. is yeah. Nah, 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 nah. And all AI. of this is right. And all of this is happening of course at the same time as we go into that election cycle when we're going to be sure. just like, you know, buried under a tsunami of shit, right? We're going to have all of the deep fakes <laughs> and the AI generated yep. content and the misinformation and disinformation and then you're going to have two, you know, septuagenarian or octogenarian candidates trying to outdo each other in terms of trying to say they have the right approach to you know kind of the regulation and implementation of ai and it's going to be a mess great year to get out of the dc real estate market (laughs) (laughs) all right are you you're up 
The Here grand we go. finale. Let's grand go. finale. Oh, yeah, let's go. Make, Come on. So make it I grand. Recently, I was at the uh, marketing conference. I was one of the speakers called Digital Ascendant in Palo Alto. And one of the speakers was the CMO of Pfizer. Um, and he, Andrew, Drew, he um, disclosed to all the marketers in the room that 15% of all content created by marketing in Pfizer is AI generated already. And that's very high. That's extremely high. And everybody in the room was kind of shocked. There was one brand that was like, yeah, we're getting, we're or approaching that path already. Um, but the thing is, most of the brands are like, whoa, that is unbelievable. And the main use case and reason is, uh, to your initial point, Greg and, and, and Jeff doing something, you know, strategy versus tactics, it's to provide personalized content at scale personalized emails, personalized ads, personalized web pages. Um, I think that's the direction we're going to see things. So going back to your comment, Jeff, around how traditional AI, uh, which is predictive AI or machine learning, yes, that's gonna come back around. And once we understand what people want or who they are, the context, right? You know, uh, imagine me, a mi I need content for a middle-aged man in Silicon Valley that is catered to me that I'm gonna act on. The call to action is gonna be very high click-through rate, right? So you gotta get really specific to what do I need. And so we'll see that happen. Now, this creates a really interesting permutation. Now, email, it's very clear, you create a single email for those folks. But I could imagine, I could imagine in the end of the next year where we start to see that traditional websites just don't become as important. Instead, we might see a personalized view of a website emerge. So when you uh, land on a corporate web page, somehow it knows the context of who you are and what do you want and it serves up the content exactly for you. And there may be a chat interface that knows you and, you're, and is talking to you. It's a very personalized experience. And I can expect to see something like that start to emerge. So that's my take. Per, uh, websites as we know it, marketing as we know it, bombastic, um, just just dropping content, mass producing content, churning content, that's gonna end. It's gotta be precision and personalized content. Very Blade Runner 2049 with those personalized ads. You know? Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, that is something, yes, those are the visions of what could happen. But what do you guys think? I think it's spot on myself. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to me, hyper-personalization is one of the, at present, most powerful use cases. Yeah. Not everybody is well prepared to march down that path yet, right? Because there are still many, many organizations that struggle with a single customer view, for example. Uh, but the ones who truly understand their customers who are using, you know, analytical engines and using predictive AI effectively against a unified customer view have an incredibly powerful asset. Now you stack generative AI on top to actually handle the creation and to me it's a, right. you know, a really powerful one-two punch. And I've seen some examples of these kinds of things that have gone to market like um, you know, Carvana had a customer loyalty campaign where they produce 1.3 million highly personalized video emails to their existing customers, right? Calling out the person by name, the vehicle they purchased, the day they bought it, where the car was shipped, what was happening in the world that day, like really cool stuff that's highly engaging that couldn't be done a year ago in any real practical sense. 1.3 million unique implementations of a video message I mean it would have been impossible right um, and I think that's only the beginning of the kind of thing to your point Jeremiah the, just the beginnings of the kinds of things that brands are going to be able to do and I agree with you you know highly personalized web experiences certainly to one degree or another an Amazon or a Netflix or a Spotify has been doing that for years right but brands are way behind in delivering that kind of experience to consumers so I think all of this, when it comes together and is used effectively from a strategic perspective, is, you know, is the future of digital marketing. Yeah. So the, the Amazon and <clears throat> the, the Spotify and the Netflix examples are just serving up the right type of content or products. I think this is more where the entire I think, web I agree. I think it will yeah. be more. Yeah. Yeah. 
You, you know, when the web broke, everybody was talking about one-to-one marketing and how that was going to happen. And yeah. I think we all have seen through the years and the iterations that we've gotten tantalizingly closer and we haven't gotten there. And this, this to me, is a natural fulfillment of that vision and dream because finally we can scale, right? That That's always been the problem with content. Let's not even talk about the the problems that human error bring into it, but just human ability to populate enough content on an individual basis. It's just not been economically feasible. Now it is. Uh, and so this makes a ton of sense. It's a good use of AI. It's, it's really the complex AI model that we all know is possible, but nobody seems to be talking about. And what's marketers want this, right? Yeah, yeah. And consumers 100%. probably want this too if there's less spam, right? Right, oh, and I'll bet you the number one company that wants it is Salesforce. You know, they want to offer this to all their customers. You yes, know, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think you know, going back to a theme from earlier in the show, it's also one of those potentially double-edged swords. Right, there will be a line beyond which the consumer says, "You know what? This is too personal." Right, yeah. but up until that line, it's going to be a tremendous amount of benefit. To your point, Jeremiah, less spam, less irrelevant content. Um, you know, it's going to be nothing but goodness until at some point you might be like, eh, this brand knows me too well. And it's going to be incumbent upon the marketer to understand where those lines are drawn potentially. I think, though, too, to that extent, riffing off of that, it forces, and we're already seeing this, forces companies to adapt mobility, right, to literally get your mobile phone number, to cookie you, to place you in immersive ad experiences depending on where your location is i mean we're seeing more and more natural ties to digital displays for example sure and as that becomes geofencing the whole nine yards look email is the lazy marketer's way to do it you know and that's going to become increasingly true as these filters come up you know if you're only email marketing you basically you're already behind um and i think I don't know about you guys, but this holiday season, I love marketing, so I, I notice these things. I just really love it. How many times have you gotten an offer like, dude, we'll give you another 20% if you give us your mobile number? Right. Give us your mobile right. number. Everybody's right. doing that now, yeah, right? That. Yeah, yeah. That's why. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we made it through the list. So, Thanks, uh, nine, nine, nine big predictions for 2024. Jeremiah, for anyone who, I don't know who these people might be, but for anybody who might not know you well enough, what are some good ways for them to find you, connect with you, and become part of your community? Thank you. Um, I publish a newsletter. I got a blog. I'm, all, all the, I'm on like LinkedIn and Twitter, so there's many ways to find me. And I would love to hear what marketers are working on in AI. I'd love to know. And for anybody that's in the San Francisco area, why don't you give yeah. us a 30-second pitch for Llama Lounge? Yes, Llama Lounge is an AI event for startups in the space because we in, I invest in AI startups. Ten different startups get to be on the demo floor, and there are humongous events. At our last one in downtown Palo Alto, 400 to 500 people showed up. There was a line down the street. It's so a big room. The, the demand is just off the hook, and that's Llama Lounge with two L's. All, All right. right. Thank, Thank you, you so today, much, so much for Thanks, joining guys. us. All right, Jeff, it is time. See you later, my friends. And thank you for listening. Please punch like, subscribe, tell your friends about it. You can find us on iTunes, YouTube. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Spotify, of course. Um, and with that, have a very safe and happy holidays. We're going to see you in 2024. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.